You're listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. Welcome to the show. My name is Christian Corley. I am a deputy editor at makeuseof.com and I am the primary host of the Really Useful Podcast. This is a podcast in which we help you to make better use out of the technology around you. Mobile phones, printers, computers, smart TVs, in-car equipment, you name it. If you struggle with using it, then we've probably covered it on the site and maybe even on the podcast. And if we haven't, let us know and we'll take a look at it and help you out. Now, in this week's show, we're skipping the news and there'll be no recommendations at the end of the show, but I have got a uh, cacophony of tech tips and tricks for you. We are going to look at how to tether a mobile phone. We're going to look at how to buy a mechanical keyboard and we're also going to look at digitizing old 8mm and Super 8 home movies. And as if all that wasn't enough, we also have a short discussion on how generative AI is changing the world and what websites will be affected by it, potentially. I'm joined in these conversations with my Make Use Of co-host, Gavin Phillips. I was um, sat in a cafe the other day, working as I tend to do with my laptop in a branch of Starbucks with a. Uh, it's usually either double espresso or a uh, an americano. I don't take milk or cream in my coffee. Something I've only been drinking since the birth of my youngest child, who insisted on waking up at four a.m. Um, yeah, once you're up at four a.m., there's no point going back to bed, is there? No, and something strong, exactly. sharp. Get yeah. you in the zone. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So and the reason I was in this cafe specifically was in order to update this article, which is about um, connecting mobile internet to your PC via tethering. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you the three ways of doing it, which is quite simple. Then we're going to go through a few stats on which is the fastest way of doing it. So uh, this is specifically for Android because I don't believe it's particularly simple to do the Bluetooth method or in uh, with an iPhone. I'm not even sure you can still do the cabled method. Uh, so, um, so tethering is basically the method of using the mobile internet that you have on your phone and sending it to your computer. Your your computer shares that internet connection and gets you online. Uh, it's safer than using sort of like cafe Wi-Fi or whatever. I use it all the time. I've got a really good deal for my uh, SIM card, so uh, it doesn't cost me any extra, and I can use pretty much as well. I can't use as much as I want, but I'm never going to go beyond the limit. So there are three ways of doing this. There's with a USB cable, there is with Bluetooth, and there is using um, your mobile phone's uh, Wi-Fi connection, uh, setting it up as a uh, access point or personal hotspot. And these settings are all built in. And the details for how to do each of these you'll find in the article. I'm not going to go into too much detail here. However, I will tell you that uh, using the USB method uh, with the latest versions of Android is simply a case of plugging the USB cable into your computer, plugging the USB cable into your phone, and selecting tethering on the pop-up screen. And that's it. There's no more configuration needed as long as mobile internet is activated. Now, the reason I went to the specific cafe that I went to is because it is in a 5G zone. 
and that's what I wanted to talk about specifically. So I'm going to go through these in order, of um, in reverse order, basically. So with Wi-Fi, I found, and of course, you know, mileage is going to vary on this depending on signal strength and all that sort of thing. But uh, with Wi-Fi, on 4G, I had 28.26 megabit per second download and 22.10 megabit per second upload with a ping of 61 meters a second whereas with 5g the increase was uh, minimal it was 32.68 uh, megabits per second and 1.52 megabits per second upload with a ping of 39 meters a second that's with wi-fi so that's setting your phone up as a wi-fi hotspot getting your internet through there it's perfectly adequate for uh, internet connections uh 4g or 5g now i also tried bluetooth the 4G speed was 0.46 megabits per second down, 0.56 megabits per second up, with a ping of 101 uh, meters a second. On 5G, very little difference. 0.61 megabits per second down, 0.42 megabits per second up, and a ping of 68 meters a second. But when I connected with USB, this is where it gets really good, okay? 4G speed over USB is 28.36 Meet, uh, megabits per second uh, now compared that with uh, Wi-Fi which is 28.26 so already you can see that Bluetooth is faster and this is even with the phone right next to the computer uh, 22.10 megabits per second upload on 4G 61 meters a second ping 5G speed download prepare yourselves 239.59 megabits per second down 18.26 megabits per second up, which doesn't change too much, but, you know, this fits in with 5G. is typically faster with downloads and up, and a ping of 26 metres a second. I mean, overall, as you can see, USB is faster than using Wi-Fi, generally speaking. But um, they're both good. But uh, I, I've, I sat there for ages waiting for 5G to start working as well. That really annoyed me. Well, I didn't, like, come on straight away. No. 4G is just sort of... 4G is just always on now, isn't it? Exactly, yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm, I was checking the um, the coverage map as well, and I was like, I'm definitely in this 5G zone. I'm definitely in this 5G zone. I was there about half an hour before I just switched over to 5G. So, All right, now we can do it. Yeah. What I find most uh, startling about that, Christian, is is the Bluetooth speeds. Yeah. The Bluetooth speeds are shockingly bad, aren't they? They are, they are. I was surprised as well. Um I don't really know how to explain it because they're, they're bad. Um, the other thing as well is the, the 5G speeds were tested using a Linux computer, whereas the 4G speeds, um, which were also done with a Linux computer, but they aren't particularly different to the last time I did this, um, particularly the Bluetooth. They're both under one megabit per second. God, it's a phenomenal drop off, especially when you compare it to how fast the uh, the wired tether is at you know nearly two hundred and fifty or three hundred uh, megabits a second. There might be a <laughs> bandwidth issue with um, Bluetooth, but I disconnected my headset, so I'm not really sure what else it was connected to. But uh, so that's that. That's um, you know, if you if you are out and about and you need to use your laptop, use use um, use wireless tethering. Or use speed tethering um, before you think about using someone's Wi-Fi. Uh, Gavin, you are the man of mechanical keyboards. I am, yes. I've uh, got very into the old mechanical keyboards. I always enjoyed mechanical keyboards, but uh, people keep sending them to me. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like me and dash cams. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Once you do one, they're like, hey, would you like some more? Yeah. Uh, to which I often say, yes, I would actually, because I do quite enjoy them. <laughs> um, so we've got a list for you of uh, eight tips on how to buy your first mechanical keyboard. Uh, we'll just run through these. Um, so uh, the tips are you first need to figure out some of the mechanical keyboard jargon uh, as with anything in tech there's jargon you got to wade through uh, some of the things you might hear when people talk about mechanical keyboards is the feel and they're talking about how the keyboard feels under your fingers the uh, the keyboard switches which are the bits under the keycaps uh, which connect to the keyboard and uh, create the circuit that registers the key press uh, bump which is uh, like a tactile feedback that you can feel each time you press the uh, keyboard down uh, the key down oh. Uh, travel distance, uh, the clicky feeling and the actuation force. Actuation force is quite interesting because that's how hard you have to press on the key to register the switch. So if you have a very light um, actuation force, the keys will be very, very easy to press, but you may find yourself registering more than one key press at a time, or you may find your fingers slipping between the keys and uh, pressing more than one key at a time. Whereas if you have a very heavy set, um, heavy actuation force, uh, you may find your fingers getting a little bit more tired uh, whilst you type, but you're probably going to be more accurate because you're having to press the keys, you know, with greater force and greater accuracy each time. Uh, next up, you want to decide what you'll be using the keyboard for. So it really comes down to typing and gaming, basically. Uh, mechanical keyboards are really good for both. Uh, but uh, we'll get onto the switches in a minute, and that sort of leads into it. Um, but you want to find a keyboard that suits what you're going to do most. Yeah. So if you're going to be typing more, maybe go for something a little bit lighter uh, or... Or the opposite, it really comes down to personal feel. Um, and then, obviously, it comes down to how much you should spend. Now, here's the thing with mechanical keyboards. You could spend 100 to $150 and you will get a really good mechanical keyboard. But once you get into keyboards, you could quite easily spend 300 to $400 if you really want. There's no need to. That's the important thing. So set a budget. Look what's in your budget range and uh, you'll find something good. Um, so the next one will be what mechanical keyboard size should you choose? Uh, do you, What size keyboard do you have, Christian? I have uh, the type that is... Um, that's a strange question. It's not really one I've ever answered before. It's, it's like a full width one with a number pad and then the yeah, keys so in between the main bit. Yeah, full size. Okay, yeah, it's a full size keyboard. <laughs> yes, it's a full size. So I've been using uh, a 65% keyboard, which cuts off um, a huge number of keys. Around 40 keys go from the whole keyboard. But how do you uh, type? Yeah, exactly. Just with one hand. <laughs> 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 so this keyboard I'm using now has uh, 66 keys, so it doesn't have any of the function keys. It still has arrow keys, but it doesn't have a number pad or anything like that. You can go smaller. You could go to a what? 40% keyboard, which only has 40 keys, which is, I mean, quite frankly, it's a little bit ridiculous. You have to learn so many extra commands to actually use it properly. So um, between 65%, 75% um, is, is, I think, is a really good area. Um, the big thing with mechanical keyboards, of course, is the mechanical switches. And they're the things that... Um, 
determine how fast you can type, the smoothness of how you type, and the noise level of your typing as well. So there are uh, what's known as clicky switches, and each time you press it, it makes an actual audible click every single time. Uh, I've got one here. Look, I'll click it for you, and hopefully you can hear it. Can you hear that? Wow, <laughs> I can hear that. It sounds like you're mating with a cricket. <laughs> that's um a cherry mx blue switch um which is one of the well-known very popular clicky switches it's a good typing experience but as you could hear it's very noisy um you can also get tactile switches which still give you a bit of a bump when you press them but it doesn't have an audible click there are linear switches which are very smooth very nice to type on really good for typing flow and then you also get silent switches which uh, it's a bit of a misnomer, the name, because you can never have a truly completely silent switch. Obviously, it's a mechanical thing that you're hitting with your hand that's going to make noise. But the idea is that the switch itself doesn't create any um, additional noise. Um, and um, you should always also go for a repeatable brand. Uh, so there's three brands that I would suggest every beginner starts with. Uh, one of them is Keychron. Uh, they make really good, solid keyboards. They're in the $100 to $200 range, which I know sounds a lot, but you buy one of their keyboards and it will last you maybe a lifetime. They're super, wow. super well built. Yeah, Has it been proven well a lifetime? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I would say at least, you know, de I would say decades. Right. Um, then there's the Steel Series ones. I'm sure most uh, listeners have heard of Steel Series, the big gaming brand. They also make really high quality um, mechanical keyboards that are well suited for beginners. Uh, and then there's another company that I always like to recommend, and they're called Ducky. They have the best mechanical keyboard name, but their keyboards are extremely high quality. And again, you'll be able to pick one up in the uh, sort of 100 to 200 dollar range. Now, all of those things combined add up to a very good mechanical keyboard for a beginner. Um, the other tip I would give for beginners is don't overthink it uh, and don't get overwhelmed with with the range of selections and choices that there are because you might buy one keyboard and it might not be right for you but thankfully mechanical keyboards actually hold their value really really well because okay. it's um, a massively popular area at the moment there's a lot of interest in it you'll see people on youtube and tiktok showing off their keyboards and stuff like that so uh, if you realize it's the wrong one don't panic make sure you keep your box always keep your boxes uh, and you'll be able to sell it maybe at a slight loss but you won't you know you won't lose a great deal on it a few years ago i tried to do something um which I kind of, I regret, well, I don't regret doing that. I regret the outcome of it. It was terrible. Um, basically, I, <laughs> I wanted to digitize some old cine film. Uh, my dad wasn't keen. So uh, in order to uh, make my point, I bought an exact replica of his projector, which was bought in the sort of late 60s, early 70s. And then I proceeded to uh, film a projection onto a white wall. And the... Results are absolutely appalling. I can't express how bad they were. But at the time, I thought, yes, I can do it. I don't know why I thought that. It was terrible. Uh, now, as time progresses, it turns out there was actually a problem with that projector in terms of um, the actual framing of the image I've since discovered because I spent money on getting 
the films professionally converted. And I've uh, recounted this experience in the um, recent guide, brand new article on Make Use of called How to Digitize Old 8mm and Super 8 Cine Film for DVD or USB. And in which I've um, pr provided two example films. One of both the exact same reel, I should add. Uh, one of which was um, me recording the film projected on a screen with a digital camera. And the um, second one is a... There's also a uh, photographic comparison of a uh, freeze frame from the um, two conversions. And then there's an example of the professionally converted uh, version. And, um, you know, this this is a really difficult area to um, make a decision on because, you know, if you've got old cinefilm, you kind of, you are working against the clock because eventually this stuff uh, is going to decay unless uh, it is stored in very specific and expensive conditions so it is, if you have old cinefilm you really do need to get it converted asap and get it converted to a digital format so you can continue to enjoy it and share it or whatever uh, i did at one point consider hiring a reel-to-reel -reel converter or buying a reel-to-reel -reel converter but then i discovered that there's various things cleaning things and um, uh, digitization uh, procedures uh, that are involved with hiring a company to do it for you there's a thing called wet gate for instance where they um, as well as cleaning the film they they uh, the digitization takes place with the film submerged in water which reduces the impact of scratches for example and gets gets the colors mixed uh, more accurately in those um, scratches so it mitigates any sort of issues like that in the film uh, the results are absolutely astonishing. Unfortunately, the um, the, the samples I've um, provided on the site are silent because uh, it's the type of film with no audio on it. So I am planning to a little family project over the next few months is to uh, get some sound effects onto these things. But I have to say, my dad was absolutely blown away and we did these conversions. There's, um, there's a further four or five reels that were also converted, uh, which means we can watch them anytime as a family. On a US, they send it back to you on a USB stick. There's many companies that do this for you. Uh, so uh, I provided a list of things, and this, this is where we're going to uh, just finish this on this uh, list of things uh, that you should look for with a conversion business that you are going to consider sending, you know, these quite uh, important and, you know, usually priceless uh, films too. So it's relatively local. It will clean the film before conversion. It will perform frame-by-frame -frame scanning. It will use wet-gate scanning, which I explained a few moments ago. It will do colour correction on older films. You'll see in the um, the image that I've shared that uh, there's a bit of fading in the film as well uh, before it was sent away. Uh, improve audio if there's any recorded and offers physical media and a downloadable version of the digitised film and also promises a reasonable turnaround. I'm absolutely delighted with the outcome of this conversion i you know i mean it wasn't until i checked uh just preparing this article checked the um the old version from i think i recorded it in 2009 just how poor that effort was oh no <laughs> the um the difference between the two is quite substantial isn't it the the level of detail yeah. i think it's, it's the coloring more than anything that uh, the professional conversion brings back to to uh, to the film uh, is quite astounding, really. It is. It is amazing. Um, just uh, just for clarity, the, um, the 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 boy on the right in the photos—that's me. 
Oh, what a handsome chap. <laughs> and surprisingly blonde as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. So that's quite interesting. So, uh, so can I ask Christian then how much that sort of uh, this process cost you? Because that'd be quite interesting. I can't remember. Uh, okay. It was somewhere in the. I went halves with my sister. It was something that was somewhere in the region of around two hundred, two hundred and fifty pounds. Ah, so uh, but as three, I said, there was there was fifty-ish dollars. Yeah, something like that. But as I said, there were five reels of uh, varying lengths. That's not bad, is it? Especially when you consider what you're preserving. So it's well worth the outlay if you've got uh, this sort of real film laying around. Like you said, it really isn't going to last forever, you know. Exactly. Definitely worth doing if you've got some old cine films, I think. Certainly a better option than uh, what I did in 2009. We'll move on now. And because, you know, we've talked about ChatGPT and generative AI, which is kind of what it is. It's um, all these various ways you can use AI through ChatGPT uh, to create things. It's not just ChatGPT. There's the um, oh, the exact same problem we had last time we discussed um, creating art with AI. I've forgotten the name of the one that I use all the time. What, Mid Journey? No. Um, well, I can't remember the name of the other one I've used. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, things like Mid Journey. Um, so we've um, compiled a list of platforms most at risk of the negative effects from generative AI. This is quite an interesting list, Gavin, isn't it? It is quite an interesting list. Uh, we'll go through the list and then I've got I've got some issues with some of the selections on here. So we'll go okay. through the list first, shall we? Okay, so number one, there's Quora, which is like this question and answer thing that we see on the internet. You, often you, you type something in and the first result is from Quora. Number two, Reddit, uh, which is kind of like the... the the forum of the internet there's pinterest as well and deviant art uh, there's one called artful which i'm not familiar with and another one called art station which i'm only sort of slightly aware of before today um now the article concludes that the rise of generative ai presents several challenges for social media problems and as ai models become more advanced they will increasingly be able to replicate the creative power of humans which could render some social media platforms irrelevant what do you think i i just can't see it i just i don't understand how the whole idea of social media platforms right is the social element and i know some of the social media platforms we use have been going away from that in years yeah but if something like, for example, Twitter, say, was suddenly, well, more full of <laughs> AI bots than it already is, it would become utterly useless, wouldn't it? So the core element of if social media... If anyone notices. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the core <laughs> element of social media is the social part, isn't it? Yeah. And with the greatest of respect to, to our colleague who has written this... Uh, I think it sort of misses the point of why people go to websites like Reddit um, in terms of you don't always go there to ask a question or to find out information. Sometimes you go there to scroll through a thread and see what people have said about a topic and what have you. And if all of that topic and all of that thread were dominated by chatbots just giving each other the same information over and over again 
it would become utterly dull. It also, for me, ignores the fact that at the moment, generative AI chatbots can only create information based upon what is already written. Now, until we have a truly general AI, which is the one where it can create anything out of anything, these phrases and these comments will have to be based upon what is therefore already written. Mm. So it's not like it can go out and start replacing humans on these forums because it still needs the humans to write what it's going to write in the future. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not quite there for me, if you see what I mean. Well, do you know, I think it actually raises another point, which is what I honestly actually thought you were going to raise um, with regards to the art. Okay. Because I'm wondering, we've, I mean, at Make Use Of and at many other websites, I'm absolutely certain, there is the whole issue of how um, generative AI is used. And obviously, we're not going to be writing articles that we haven't written. We're not going to be publishing articles that we that have been written by AI. There may be a case for using AI to sort of uh, plan uh, article ideas, uh, draft outlines, that sort of thing. Now, my my feeling with these artistic things here, um, artful and uh, not so much Pinterest, but deviant art, I can't see there being a situation where, unless there's like a sub section to to those sites where ai is used to create art pieces surely the benefit of using ai to create art really is once you've you know once you've got over the possible once you've researched possibilities of what it can do and maybe giving yourself some inspiration from those possibilities is purely to use it as some form of outlining tool yeah I, so some of the uh, guys i know in um in game development use some of these tools for a similar purpose if mm-hmm. they're building up sort of what they want uh like their... fe- like field boards or mood boards for the game yeah absolutely or yeah. like if they're trying to design some like user experience elements like the buttons you'd click on and, and that sort of thing so using these sorts of tools to iterate several different versions of how something might look quite quickly and then being like, right, I like that element, I like that. And then going on to creating the actual art and the actual design and the actual, most importantly as well, the actual code themselves. Yeah. So it, it absolutely does have uses. I just think in many cases, the whole, um, like it's going to kill social media or it's, you know, the end of the world, we're all going to lose our jobs is just a little bit over overhyped at the moment. I think the only thing that's going to kill social media is the social media companies themselves, but uh, there you go. Now, usually at this stage of proceedings, we have some recommendations for you, but as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, no recommendations this week. It's really just me and a bit of uh, material that we pre-recorded, if you hadn't worked that out already. Uh, So, uh, yeah, it's just me and Audacity and some... uh, WAV files of uh, myself and Gavin chatting. Uh, in fact, you know, it's probably worth us uh, discussing in future how we actually record the really useful podcast. If you're interested in podcasting yourself, then uh, I think that's something we will probably do because uh, we've managed to streamline this into quite a simple, straightforward, we'll say, process. Turnaround is probably uh, just a couple of hours, including recording, editing, and uploading so uh, yeah that's worth us sharing with you at some point in the future but until then 
In the meantime, uh, you've been listening to the Really Useful Podcast, the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. You can find everything that we've discussed in the show in the show notes. You'll find links to myself and Gavin on Twitter. And, of course, you can get in touch with us via Twitter or Make Use Of through the Make Use Of Facebook page. Email us directly by searching at makeuseof.com for our email addresses and our, our profile pages. You'll find everything that you need there. And in the meantime, uh, if you've heard anything here that you found useful, tell people. If you've found something that you know someone else will find useful, let them know. Share the podcast far and wide. And if you're feeling particularly charitable, uh, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back for a new show next week. Until then, it's goodbye from us.